Rags to Riches featuring Dr. Rob Kelly. How does someone go from being homeless on the streets to being called the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction treatment world? Dr. Rob Kelly shares his story of how alcohol devastated his life, the aha moment that changed everything, and his career working with people struggling with substance use. He has been featured on several national appearances to talk about his experience and is known for his unorthodox and unconventional methods. Thank you listeners for tuning into the trailer for Talking Addiction and Recovery podcast. I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier, and this podcast is a follow-up to the book I wrote called Addiction and Recovery. I am an independent clinical supervisor, clinical substance abuse counselor, and licensed professional counselor in the state of Wisconsin. In this profession, the opportunity to learn and become educated is never short, and the ongoing venture of gaining wisdom to help others is definitely a passion I possess. This is where I get to share that information with you and invite guests to share their experience and work. In this podcast, we discuss issues related to addiction, recovery, mental health, counseling, treatment, and several other areas. We discuss alcohol, drugs, gambling, gaming, pornography, and other behaviors that impacts the lives of people I work with, the individuals in their lives, and the community as well. Listen as we talk about these issues because when we don't talk about them and the silence grows, the worse it becomes. Talking about them continues to bring them into the light, which is our best way of addressing these issues and ultimately helping those who are impacted. You can find the podcast on social media with Instagram at Talking Addiction and Recovery and Facebook page with Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. You can send emails to ask questions, provide feedback, or inquire about being a guest at TalkingAddictionAndRecovery at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, and with every episode you listen to, I hope you walk away learning something. Today, I have Dr. Rob Kelly with me talking about, I, th- I think we're going to talk about a lot of issues, because there's so much of your story and what you do to cover. You've been sort of uh, deemed like the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction treatment world, but that's not how your story started, was it? No, definitely not. No, it's, uh, I grew up on a council estate in England, just in case some of you guys thinking I'm from East Texas. I'm actually from England, <laughs> just joking. Um, so it's a bit like the projects over here, or government housing, uh, <clears throat> section eight, I think they call it. That's where I grew up in England. And uh, I took my first drink at nine o'clock, uh, sorry, nine years old, on stage in Liverpool, where the Beatles are from, with my auntie and uncle, I was so nervous. I took a drink at the age of nine and it all went to shit from there, <laughs> to say the least. But yeah. it took a long time. It took a long time before, you know, I was in trouble. Yeah. And that part of your story, and I've, I've seen some of the, the appearances you've had, and I've, I've read some of what's on your website. What really intrigued me was the aha moment that you often describe. That, that seems so powerful. And yet it was a very, like, simple interaction that kind of sparked that would you say like it wasn't like this life altering like crazy experience but that aha moment was really changed the trajectory of your your life it did and for those guys who don't know i'm st- stood outside a liquor store at nine sorry six six a.m five thirty six a.m and uh i'm wearing a pair of shorts and wearing a vest <clears throat> pair of flip-flops <clears throat> it's snowing and i'm sweating profusely and I'm shaking. I have a banging headache. And I know from experience that I'm going into the DTs, delirium tremens. And if I don't get alcohol inside me in the next hour or so, I'm going to go into uh, a fit uh, and I'm going to be in serious trouble physically. So I walked into the store 
he opens the store for me because he knows who I am. He knows I'm the local alcoholic, you know, the village idiot. But I'm a nice guy. I'm an educated guy. I'm not one of these guys off the street that bumble in, you know, and I look like crap. But I walked in, put my 10 pounds on the counter, and he put the bottle on the counter. <clears throat> I reached out and grabbed the handle of the bottle. Didn't open anything. And this is when my reaction. <sighs> my headache went, my sweat stopped, my shaking stopped. It was just absolutely uh, right there and then went. And I remember looking at the bottle, looking at the shopkeeper, looking at the bottle. I didn't want mine, but he's staring at me as well. Because he must have think, Oli, what's happening? He's not took a drink yet. And then I looked back at the bottle and right there at then, I thought, oh my God, it's not the alcohol. Because everything went, my, my mood changed, my headache went, my sweats, my shake, everything stopped right there. Within, within half a second of me grabbing hold of the bottle, everything had gone. And I realized right there and then, it's not the freaking alcohol. You know, I mean, a lot of people, I don't have people with drinking. I go out with friends that drink. It's not the alcohol for me. You know, I have a brain disease. I have renal neural pathways with a hypothalamus and a basal ganglia. It wants to kill me in my brain and makes it look like an accident. That, that's the deal. And that, that's where we're different to anybody else is we, we don't, everyone else comes to the alcohol. We just stop drinking for a day. Your drinking problem's gone in 20 minutes when you speak to me. It's not that. It's, it's all about the, the thinking mechanism in the brain. Yeah, and part of what I love about that story is the, the like the like the impact of like addiction, like mental health trauma. I think some people wait for something just as impactful to like get them to change or embark on recovery. But I I love hearing those stories of like you walked into a, a liquor store and right before you grabbed it, you experienced that. That's not some like huge no. all of a sudden like this great grand thing came and changed my life. But I think people sometimes wait for those types of moments. I think they do. <clears throat> I mean, if you have to ask anybody, do you think I've got a drinking problem? You probably have. But taking the drinking problem apart away for a second, because uh, alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and drugs have 1% to do with drug addiction. It's, it's the way of things. So whether you want to better your life, whether you want to get a new wife, girlfriend, house, car, it doesn't make any difference. There's got to be time in your life when you realize that what you are living now is not what you asked for, not what you dreamt of, you know, and you want more. And there's nothing wrong with that. People always say to me, like, you're not embarrassed. You're not getting embarrassed driving that crazy car. No. I, I used to when I first got it. It was like, it was only like seven months ago. I paid $180,000 for a car. <clears throat> People think I'm insane. But I work off my dad's, what my dad always said to me. If you can't, if you can't afford it cash, don't, don't buy it. And, and, and that's the way I've lived my life. But it's okay to go for money. It's okay to go for a success. There's no rule saying you can't be. And what, once you get clean-minded with anything, cake, food, porn, drugs, it doesn't make any difference, alcohol, then your life takes on a new meaning and then you can remap and replan because we're born with million-dollar minds. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. We're born clear. We're born clean. We have a mind that works brilliantly. What we tend to do is when we grow up is we tend to hang around 10-cent minds. And what happens is all our dreams and all our, you know, stuff we want to uh, achieve and attain in life are kicked out of us by our family or our friends. I remember in, as a kid kicking a football in the, in the street and my friends would go, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. All the friends going, oh, I want to be a football. It's like, what happened to them dreams? People kicked it out of us. Family and friends and society kicked it out of us saying, don't be so stupid. You can't do that. If you can visualize what you want to do in your life, then you can hold it in your hand. And I 
and 7,000 people I've worked with are living proof. Do you think that type of like knowledge and information is shared with people at a younger mm-hmm. age before starting to engage in some behaviors would have a, a greater impact? Because often in my work, I'm sure your work too, is we start to have those conversations way after the the, the trauma has happened, the, the substance use has happened. Now they're in their 20s, 30s, their brain's gone through development. It's, it seems like we're sort of playing behind the eight ball at times. It's like, why haven't these discussions or talks happened when they were younger, like when they were children, yeah. not way after? <laughs> I love that. I, I love that pun you missed, eight, way behind the eight ball. Um, but uh, yeah, um, people say to me all the time, you know, there's alcoholism in the family, Dr. Well, when should we start speaking to our children? I say the ages of eight and nine and 10. You don't have to go into detail. You just have to say that, you know, daddy has a problem with this beer. You know, we have to be careful when we grow up because that's what my, my daughter did. She saw it in the house. She saw it and she never drank, you know. Now, she may have a, a drink on occasion, but people, kids are very resilient and they're very smart. But if you say to any kid, you remember when we were little kids, Andrew, it's like, whatever you do, don't do this. Do not cross that road. I'm going to do it. This is the way kids are. So when we're brought again, don't take drugs. Just say no. It's like, first of all, you have classes of drug takers and classes of alcoholism. Alcoholisms are born. Okay, so alcoholics are born. It's a predisposition passed down from generation to generation. It's remarked neural pathways that are self-sabotaging. It's trauma through growing up as a kid with the alcoholic brain. Um, So that we need to look at that and, and really, really concentrate on you know, what we can achieve and what we can't achieve. But the earlier we find out, the better. And then <clears throat> as you go through life, you'll realize that, believe it or not, if you're, if you're an alcoholic, you, you can't really touch alcohol in any form whatsoever because it will fuck you up, you know, and the same with drugs. So I think knowledge is powerful. It definitely is today for me when I explain to, to people that the wife's kicked them out, the kids don't want to see them, they've lost that job, they're almost losing the house, the car's been repossessed. It's crazy. It's like, listen, here's the deal. It's, this is a quick fix. It's, it's not like two or three years at your therapist. It's a 90-day program. And after the 90 days, if you want to, you will get the wife back, the kids, the car, the house, whatever you want, you can have because it's the mindset. Mind, the mind and the brain are two different entities and people get freaked out about this. But do your research, guys. The mind sits inside the brain. So we will make our mind up to do something then it releases the energy into the brain. And with the right thought patterns, neural pathways, we can achieve anything we want to achieve. But we have to, hang, we have to be careful who we hang around with to attain them dreams. So you hang around nine depressed people, you become the 10th. There's no doubt. It's, it's the mirroring part of the brain. Monkey see, right. monkey do. You know, we want to communicate. We want to be like people. We want to, you know, if your friend's a bank robber and you want to be his best friend, you will become a bank robber. Yeah. And that's, that's really powerful because when I work with parents, I always tell them your kids are going to usually learn through four ways, either from you, from a professional like ourselves, from their peers, or now from like the internet. And if you're not having the discussions with them, if they're not seeing us to hear from professionals, you're kind of relying on their peers or the internet to be like their education. There's no more of like, 
kids won't know or they won't yeah. learn about it. Yeah. And I, that's why I like the idea of like that younger age of, of talking with kids and also being able to learn about, I love doing like brain development education with, with kids and learning about that. But once again, we just, it seems to be so much later in life after their development years have occurred after they've been trauma dealt with after they've been using substances, which obviously impacts the brain. Then it's kind of like, we're trying to unlearn or like change that. So I, I really, I really like that perspective. Um, I, 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 lo- I looked at a lot of your, your appearances. You talk about so many issues. I heard you talk about like harm reduction. I heard you talk about the opioids um, there is, there is so much stuff that you seem to, to talk about and, and provide your, your expertise with, how did you get into that position where you were doing so much of all of this stuff related to like addiction and recovery? Well, obviously once, because I was suffered from it and was homeless and lost my kids and wife and house and car and stayed on the streets for 14 months. But when I got into, uh, learning more about alcoholism because remember back in the day in the in the early 80s late 70s early 80s uh i got first got sober in 1988 i think um there wasn't there was no internet there was nothing nobody knew anything about my disease no one knew any 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 uh any treatment or anything like that it was crazy and if there was treatment like betty ford it was cost of fortune so you couldn't go in but as i delved more into it i realized that why am i pinpointing it down just to alcohol because I was an alcoholic. So obviously you've got to put in drugs and you hear this all the time, drugs and alcohol, they're the same, it's a drug, it, it, they're not when it comes to the brain. Now they show up the same, they present themselves the same, they both have the addictive personalities, but the alcoholic is born, the drug addict are made. That's just a bottom line from my research, prove me wrong, you can't, I'm serious about this shit. So what happened is I started to diverse and go, hey, well, you know, what about the trauma? And hey, what about the family? Hey, what about the wife? Oh my, what about the kids? You know, what about, what about this? It's got nothing to do with alcohol, but everything to do with trauma. So over the last 25 years, I've, I've we've researched and tested and, 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 you know, did so many trials and tests on stuff. Um, I'm always open-minded to anything that helps the human being to succeed. I will often ask my rivals, how can I make your business better? Mm. And they think I'm crazy. And it's like, <laughs> why would I not? And if there's any information I can share with you, like the mistakes I made, I'm going to share with you. It's like, we're your rivals, Dr. Oak. I know you are, but you know, come on, give me a break. There was one guy that saved me off the streets after two, uh, three, three suicide attempts on two occasions. It worked. My heart stopped and I was dead on a dirty street in Manchester, pouring down, you know, horrible. Who am I not to help other people? That's what we do, you know? So just being open-minded. Uh, and if something comes up with somebody, let's research that. Like we did a research that nobody's done, that to, not that I know of, guys, is when the alcoholic relapses and when he puts the alcohol into his mouth and body, uh, we did some studies around that. So first of all, the relapse, let's say I drink on Monday, the relapse is not Monday. It's two or three days before that when my behavior and my language changes and my attitude. Then the thought pattern comes, hey, I want to drink. It's virtually impossible when that comes to do anything about it unless you've got a good solid program. Then I'm driving to the liquor store or drug dealer and then I'm purchasing and drinking. The most intoxicating part of that whole system is the drive to the liquor store or the drive to the dealer, just like my aha moment. 
So it's like whatever comes up, we will research. And as long as it helps people, obviously I specialize in alcohol and drug, uh, but alcoholics come to me all the time. Hey, Dr. Rob, I'm also depressed. I'm like, yeah, no shit. You know, I also <laughs> have blah, blah. Yeah, of course you are. It's part of the disease. This is not about the alcohol. This is about your brain not being able to cope. And, and people go, hey, so I'm, they come up with do a bit of research and they come back and go, uh, hey, so I'm allergic to alcohol. Kind of, you're actually allergic to ethanol in alcohol, and that blows the mind as well. It's like nobody's doing research on this stuff, you know, back in the day. So I'm just, I'm tenacious about this stuff. Now, can I go and fix an engine on a car? No idea. Can I put oil in? I had to go the other day. I, over, I overfilled it. Big little warning light comes on. Don't drive. Oh, yeah. I can't do any shit. I can't paint a wall. I can't. I can't do anything like that, but but getting people well and playing, play, being a musician is two things I'm very tenacious and very good at. And I think that was part of what also stood out with your story was you had your own experience and journey and you tell your story, but you also, part of it was, I, I need to go learn about this. I mean, you went and, and pursued a, a PhD to like understand what was going on. So it wasn't just, I'm telling my story and this is what I, like you had this ambition to be like you know what i need to go and and how many people in your position at that time think they can go get a phd i mean from from where you yeah from where you were the the idea of like well you can get a phd was probably like yeah that's not happening i'm homeless right now i'm i'm but you went and pursued that to learn more about it and and to gain that research and understanding the, the first PhD I did on psychology, I, I'm a double PhD uh, just because of what I did. So the first one I had was before the homelessness. So I'm going to Oxford University and I'm being this great guy, drunk all every day. Yeah. So when I become homeless, like, oh, my God, what's happened? But yeah, after that, I decided to go back to school because I believe that the, 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 the mind is the problem. But we cannot leave the body out and we cannot. We, we can tell when somebody's going to relapse by body behavior. So then I went back to Southampton. I did an online course, a PhD for behavioral science. So I can, that's why I do, most of our work is online telehealth. It wasn't like all of a sudden overnight telehealth provider. That's bullshit. You know, I went to, back to school to see every eye movement, lip movement, ear movement, touch, dance, dance, dance to, to show you relapse. So yeah, it was, uh, so when I tell my story, <clears throat> or even when I do a book study with, uh, I do a 12-step meeting book study every Saturday morning. It's like me giving back. It's my, my commitment. But it's really cool because it's always packed. And the reason why it's packed, I think, is I know, I know about the book because I'm old. That's all there is to it. I don't know any, you know, I'm not clever than anybody else. But I always give the scientific uh, research to, to, to back up the, the big book. You know, and they talk about psychic change. It's a change in neural pathways, as we know today, and they find it really fascinating. So, yeah, I don't just show up and tell my story. I show up and give a 10-minute description of how bad it was for me. Then I'm going to give you all good stuff for 50 minutes. I got the, the research behind it. You've got um, your story. But the other part that that stands out about you is the description of like the the unconventional or unorthodox ways of of being can you can you touch on that because that sounds like a lot of fun it is like you know it's everything was serious you go into a, a council it's all serious and so you had a yeah it's just crazy it's like lighten up guys so i will often uh, in the office break out 
with a guitar and start singing some crazy tune. Um, I will shout at you if you are not behaving yourself. I will throw you out of my office and <clears throat> bring you back the next day and we'll talk about it and joke about it. It's like, this has to be lighthearted because it's a serious condition. Alcoholism, uh, well, addiction as a whole kills more people than cancer and, you know, heart, whatever it is put together. It's crazy because it's not, it's not registered properly. It's like somebody dies in the house because they're an alcoholic and they left, left a fire on it goes down as, you know, fire or death by smoke or whatever. So that so the accurate reporting is not done. So we have to bring a crazy side. And I'm crazy anyway. I'm 60 years old. Boom! <laughs> 60 years old. And uh, I saw your scrubs, your shoes. Scrubs are like bright orange <laughs> and pink bottoms and yellow shoes. It's like people kind of relax when they come and see me and go, oh, you know, it's not that guy in a jacket and a tie. It's just like, come on, let's do this. And, you know, the two reasons why they call me the Gordon One is because I curse like crazy If because I'm shocking the disease. You know, they think it's fun. This doctor's swearing. It's awesome. I love him. It's double-edged sword because I'm trying to shock the disease out of them, you know, because we can all put a front on. And secondly, I, I, I know Gordon. And I, listen to this. I was in his house. And this is another ah-ah moment for me. And the reason why I'm so successful today is I'm sat in his house and he's doing, you know, lunch or whatever. And he's cooking away. And all of a sudden, out the blue, he turns around. He goes, hey, Rob, do you know why I'm the best chef in the world? And I went, well, yeah, because you can cook really well. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, this is what he replied with. Fuck no, because I tell everybody I am. Oh, my God. I'm like, wow. So I started, when I did my second PhD, I started calling myself the best addictionologist in the world. And then, and then people give me a chance to prove it. But I 100% believe I'm the best in the world what I do. He, because I tell everybody I am. And you start, believe, you start believing that stuff. And then your performance matches that statement. But yeah, it was mind-blowing when he said that to me. It was, it was crazy. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a no-nonsense guy, but I just bring the fun on. I'm telling you, man. I pulled up to the signal lights the other day. I've got Dr. Dre blasting on. The, 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 uh, this, and I've got a nice car, man. The top's down. So when you come up, you're expecting this old businessman or something. And, you know, these, these businessmen pull up beside him my age and they're looking at me down the nose with absolute disdain. They said, why are you listening to music like that? You should be listening to, I don't know, Mozart or something. <laughs> like, I just live life to the full, man. You have to. You really have to. How do you, how do you balance that? Because you also have the, the acknowledgement of like, you know, individuals have had trauma experiences. They've had mental health like how do you balance having that like no nonsense you know candid approach but also knowing that that, that there are people that have come with some extensive severe backgrounds how, how do you balance that out well first of all we get them excited about today today only and we have fun about that and then we kind of dig past and at the end of the day if you're competent enough while working with somebody to take them to the past, we call it the scene of the crime, and really clear that stuff up, then you know it's going to be okay in the end. So the lighthearted approach at the beginning is really good, and then we relax. And then we get into, you know, the real nitty-gritty part of the work, which is the NLP, the SE, the psychology, the brain spotting. But again, it's done with this loving, slightly... Uh, aggressive way where people either love me or they don't. I'm not for everybody. 
And for me, I'd rather find out from day one that you're not really interested and don't want to change rather than spend three months with you and people are dying around me who really needed it. And you're just there because mommy and daddy's wrote a big check. So I, I, I was the guy, I don't know whether you heard about this incident, Dallas, Texas, Campese's restaurant, closed down, completely closed down by Britney Spears and a, and a crew to meet me at midnight. By 2 p.m., uh, 2 a.m., she's still not arrived. She walks in 2.15, drunk as anything, with all the stuff. I get out to leave, and uh, her dad, Jamie, stands up, and he's trying to stop me with the bodyguard. I said, I can't work with her. She's not ready. And he, he took his checkbook out, and he wrote a million-dollar check for me right there and then. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for the money, and I left. So two days later, she's in the paper shaving her head off and shit like that. But your heart's got to be in it. And you've got to know that you can get these people well to have that nonchalant sort of attitude and, and trying to make light of everything. But when the real work comes, the real work comes. And that's when you sit down. <clears throat> and I like part of uh, one of the talks I heard you on was looking at, I think part of what you said was we only need 1% of willingness to get better. Mm. And I like that idea of if, if you can find that someone's got some desire to change or some hope or expressing some sort of like, I can't keep doing this or I've yeah something like that. Like you look at that from, from what I'm getting from that statement is like, you see that as like, yes, like we can then do something with that. But sometimes I think people in our profession are expecting someone to be like 100% ready to, to yeah. do everything at a, at a moment. Like, drop everything in your life, like face all the, the stuff that's been horrible, give yeah. up every, like they want a hundred percent the moment that they walk in the door of, of giving everything up. But you talk yeah. about how it, it can be just like that small percentage of someone wanting to, or, or willing to, that we can start from there. Is that, that true? That's why I look, yeah, that's why I look for when they come to the assessment is I'm looking for signs. I'm looking for body language. I'm looking for reactions. And if I see a 1% reaction, then I'm all over it. Yes, I love that. I love that. Him. Yeah. But I, I will do crazy stuff, though, Andrew. I mean, we had a guy once, a young kid, and I didn't think he was ready. And mom and dad saying he is, he is, he is. So uh, I, I take the kid in first. Or, no, I do all, all three of them first, parents and kid. Then the parents go to the other waiting room. Then I talk to the kid. Then I'm supposed to go out and say to the parents, yes or no. So I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the office with the kid, and, he, and his deal is say Xanax I think I can't remember what it was so he's talking away and every time he said Xanax his eyes his pupil changed you know dilation and it, the face over and he got excited so I said to him here's the deal I'm, I'm the same I take I take Xanax you know myself which is a lie uh, but I'll tell you what we'll do I've got some in my drawer right now what if we both take it now both of us and then tomorrow morning you come in and we start tomorrow morning and he goes oh god yeah yeah I walked up, I walked past the desk, I opened the door and I said to mom and dad, he's not ready. That's what I'll do to people to find out. He's pissed off because he thinks he's getting some Xanax. The parents are upset, you know, because they're waiting with this checkbook. And I go, no, can't, he's not ready. You know, the answer I was looking for is hell no. I'm here to get well. You can, And I would have told him the truth that I was only, you know, that was a, a lie. You know, there's no Xanax in the drawer and I don't take it. And because you said... I don't want to do it. You're ready. And I'll take you on. But that's just experience from years and years. And that's got to be tough. For, I mean, I'm sure the parents wanted him to want to be better. Like the, the position they were in was not enjoyable or you know, they, 
they didn't want to come in there and be like, he's not ready. Like they just want, they just probably just want him to get help. Yeah. But until the individual's ready, nothing, nobody can do it. I don't care who you are out there. Stop taking little Johnny in for his seventh time in your treatment center and charging him 30 grand a month. Stop it. We're the only company in the world that offers a money back guarantee if you relapse while following our program, period. So I want to put that out there because people, you know, oh yeah, we'll take him in. Stop it. You're killing people and you're raping of the, of the savings. You know, we, we try and preemptive the situation by telling them, and this is not the truth. And, and I kind of tell them a little lie, but I'm, I'm trying to save, save them from, from, uh, from this real big upset is I tell them that most people fail our assessment. So when I go out to them and say, it's not ready, it's not such a big, horrible thing, but that's not the truth. 90% pass. It's 10%, but I, I want to make sure that when I go out, I don't want to go out raw. Like you said, the parents are there. They're full of hope. They've searched me. They've spoke to some of our patients, our ex-patients. They're all excited. This is the answer they've been waiting for. God has sent me Dr. Rob Kelly. Everything's good for me to walk out and go, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. So we do have a compassionate side, but I'm very black and white when it comes to, are you ready or not? And I can tell if you're ready. I didn't spend six and a half years back at school again to sit there going, oh, I wonder if he's right. I know you are ready. From the twinge in your eye, the little nerve here, to the actions, to the crossing legs, no matter what it, I know you are ready. 90% of uh, communication is, is, is nonverbal. And people don't recognize that. You don't have to say yes or no. I know yes or no by your behavior. I think that's really good with the work in like alcohol, drugs, and, and addiction, because there's so much of the people know what to tell providers. They know what to say. They, they may have been in treatment before and you can definitely echo s- statements and words that someone like a therapist or a, a provider would be like, Oh yeah, that's what I'm wanting to hear. But you're looking yeah. at not the words they're, they're looking at. You are talking about paying attention to the nonverbals. And I, I don't think that's very common it's not, it's not. I mean, the addiction world is not set up for that. It's set up for profit only. And there's no money in, uh, in addiction recovery. So it takes somebody like me to stand up. You know, I ask them all the time, blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, yeah, because they've been to treatment six or seven times already. They know what to say. Oh, yeah, 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 Dr. Rob, get the fuck out of my office with that <laughs> shit. And they look at me and they go, listen, dude, I'm going to tell you now that I stabbed my wife three times one night because she won't let me finish drinking. I left my kids ages one and three in a cinema while I went to get alcohol 10 miles away. Don't even think about bullshitting me. Are you on? And they go, sorry. Okay. And then they give me the real answer. So it's a mix between professionalism and street is, is where I lie. It's like, you can't really bullshit. And if you want to bullshit me, go away. You know, I'm not, I don't give a shit whether you recover or not. It's the, it's the truth. I really don't care. But if you want to help, I'm your guy. If you don't, I'm not going to sit there, you know, I'm not going to feel guilty if you die of an overdose three days later. I tried my best. You wasn't ready. Go home. I'm not going to glad. Well, if we let him go out the door, he might commit. That's not my problem. My problem is, do you want this or not? I'm as black and white. And I've been slated for that. I've been, oh, that Dr. Rob Kelly, I don't know what he's talking about. He's not a real doctor. He's not really English. I mean, some of the shit I hear, but it's just jealousy. It's like, this is how I work. If you don't like it, don't come. There was a classic, classic, where we always tell everybody, mom and son, who's a drug addict, mom's talking to my staff for like three days. Eventually, he, he doesn't really, well, we're here, he doesn't really want it, but his mom wants him there. Then he wants it and then he doesn't. 
and they're traveling. And he, now he's pissed. So he calls me direct. Oh my gosh, my cell phone. He calls me, go, hey, listen, this is Jimmy. Listen, Dr. Rob, I'm supposed <laughs> to be coming to your place now. Uh, what makes you so different that you're going to get me well and, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to have a great life? Tell me what's so different about you. My reply was, I don't give a fuck whether you get well or not. In actual fact, turn the car around. I don't give a shit whether you get well. I don't even know you. We talk. I can't. I can't make you stop drinking or drugging. Who do you think I'm? Not God. Go away. Are, are you going to go? Are you going to come? His answer was, "We'll be there in ten minutes." Is that if you're straight with somebody, they they feel it. They just feel it. And I'm going, "Wow, this guy is different." And 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 I am different. And I paid the price for that. I still don't see my youngest daughter thirty years on. You know, she doesn't have a dad. I have to live with that every day. Every Christmas and every birthday, I have to live with that. So don't tell me that I'm stood here talking bullshit and guys that don't like me because I have my haters. He's like, most treatment centers don't like me and I don't like them. And we're pretty good with that, you know, but miracles happen if you do the right thing. And a miracle happened to me two years ago. My eldest daughter got in contact with me by messenger. And it was like three o'clock in the morning. I woke up, heard this ding. I woke up, looked at it through blurred vision. And it was my daughter, Charlotte. We call her Charlie. And she says, Dad, I want to see you, blah, blah, blah. Well, we got up and we booked a flight there and then. And we flew over on the red eye. And we got over there. And I was so nervous, Andrew. And I'm vomiting because I'm sick, because I'm so scared out of my mind. And, you know, we walked to the door and I knocked on the door. And she opened that door, man. And I'm telling you, it was just... A miracle. We hugged each other. We cried. My wife was there watching it all, taking pictures. And then she said, Dad, I've got something to show you. And I thought she was going to show me, I don't know, kitchenware or something. And we walked into the main living room, and uh, this always gets me. And she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. That's amazing. Right there. And then I thought, and I don't mean this in a ghoulish way, but if I'd have died the next day, happy man. I've completed everything I wanted to complete. I talked about I talked about this before in a previous podcast episode where like to make recovery work, sometimes people talk about how you got to become like an entirely different person. You got to give up all this this stuff about you. You can't be this way. Like we're trying to mold people into like what recovery looks like. But I think by what you just shared that that isn't something everyone has. You don't have to give up who you are to anything that needs to change in you is your thought patterns. Yeah. You're the same person, you know, you have a family, say for instance, you're just looking at it as self-sabotage all the time. When you've got to look at it, you can see miracles every day. If you look, you get up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror. In fact, listen guys, when you listen to this, get up tomorrow morning, look yourself in the eye, in the mirror, bathroom mirror and say, today's going to be an amazing day. Shout it out. Shout it at that mirror. If you have a bad day, call me. I'll send you $100 because it's virtually impossible. So, yeah, the only change is here. Everything else, you know, you've got to be you. You've got to be authentic. It's just that most of the times when people come to me, they've lost their identity along the way somewhere. So the person they really are has turned into this miserable, isolated, scared human being who's in the house and, and, and the wife is doing everything because you're wasted every day and the kids want to see dad and they're hurt and they're, you know, get up and be yourself. Get up and be the man you're supposed to be. 
You know, one guy said to me, well, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a dad, Rob. I'm doing, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been sober for a month now. You're supposed to be fucking sober. This isn't a prize you're going to get. It's like, get up and be the man you can. Get help. Get up. Them kids are waiting for you to be a dad. The wife is waiting for you to be a husband. Stop being selfish. Get up. Get out and do it. We will guarantee that you'll, you'll be that person. Guarantee it. You know, or seek somebody else out that you, you bond with. And that's amazing because, you know, I can say at the age of 60, first of all, I have about 15 summer times left. So when you put it like that, it's pretty scary, you know? And secondly, you can be anybody you want to be and you can be as happy as you want to be. It's not up to you to make your wife happy and vice versa. It's up to you to be a happy person. And I'm telling you now, you don't like your wife, get a new wife. You don't like your job, get a new job. Oh, it's not that easy, Dr. Rob. It really is. It really is, you know, because most people spend the times in a marriage that's dull and horrible. They get to my age where I just wasted 30 years of my life. And I've just stole 30 years of this woman that I don't really like of her life. But life's too short for that stuff, guys. If you're not getting up every day with a smile on your face, ready to see what that day brings you and looking miracles of being of service to people and saying thank you. When I say thank you to someone's dopamine is released into my brain, you know, Giving back, if you don't have an amazing day, you need to change something, guys, because you're doing it wrong. You really, I don't care if you're living in a one-bedroom bedsit, you know, a trailer, you know, I've been all through there, bedsits, trailers, homelessness. It, money does not make you happy. Anyone who's got who's had money will tell you it doesn't make you happy. And if you're a dickhead while you while you're broke, you're gonna be a dickhead when you're rich. It just enhances who you are. So I've always been a kind person. So 25% of our seven-figure takings every year go back into communities that need help. That's now, great. We don't give it to charity companies. We go after them people. I see a girl in a meeting. She talks about fighting to see a kid's weekend, which she can't afford an attorney. We'll pull her to one side. We'll pay for the attorney. We'll pay for a one-bedroom apartment so she can see her kids at weekend. That's the stuff I like. That's a, that's a, I, I love hearing that. Uh, the um, one thing I really wanted to ask you about was this quote on your on your website that says um, part of it is to work towards making the road of recovery less of a mystery tour. Can you elaborate on that? Because I I think I know Nobody where knows where they're going. Everyone's going okay. We're going on here and there. First of all, they're teaching now sixties and seventies textbooks, so that so nobody knows where they're going. Everyone's just winging it. Let's see what happens. It's quite simple. The road is going to success. The road to recovery is always under construction. Never think, oh, I've got sober now. It's going to be an easy path. Nobody knows unless you get help like you get here. And then you know. Things may happen on the way. Your, God forbid, your child or your wife or dad may die along the way. You know, it does not make a difference to your sobriety or journey. It's like, it's, it, it's, a, it's like going on a, on a it's like going on a, on, yeah, I don't have you guys over here, but in England, we have what's called, you know, from the local pubs and clubs, we're going on a mystery tour. So everyone gets on the bus and then, you know, the driver takes us somewhere and it might be Blackpool, it might be London, but whoever guesses where we're going, everyone puts like two to two pound in and whoever guesses where we're going gets the, the, the money. Yeah. Well, this is like the driver guessing where we're going. He's like, well, of course the fucking driver knows he's going to get the money because he's taken us there. It's like, that's where we put it over to our, our, our patients. Like we know where we're going. We're going to take you there. Don't, you don't have to worry about anything. This is not a mystery tour when you come here. This is a direct route. We know where we're going, you know? And everyone's trying to guess. It's like, there's no guesswork in here. 
because they can't tell you, treatment centers can't tell you you're going to be sober in five years' time. If you follow our program, I can categorically tell you you'll be sober in five years' time. And you'll be living a life beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah, so and part, that's what that meant. And part of your slogan was, and you say it all the time, living the dream instead of dreaming of living. And what a, what a, even though that's such a, that's a, it's such a flip, but that is such a drastic change. That come to me, Andrew, when I was homeless and I was walking because I'd walk the streets because I didn't want to stay in the center because it was too violent and it was snowing and it was cold. And I think it was Christmas Eve and I was passing these windows and in one window, I saw a family, mom and dad and two kids around the table and they're having Christmas dinner or pre-Christmas dinner or whatever. And I thought to myself, that's living the dream. And all I'm doing now is dreaming of that and dreaming of living. That's what it came to. And that was God knows how many years ago, back in the 80s. And uh, I've always kept it. And when I say it, people go, oh, my God. It's like, I'm sick of dreaming of living. I'm going to start living that dream. I want that million-dollar house. I want that six-figure car. I want to be on, you know, a million dollars a year. I want all this stuff that I ask God and concentrated on. Quantum physics tells us this is possible. When you can see yourself somebody somewhere, what do you do? You visualize it. I want to be, you know, the manager of this road sweeping company. You visualize it. And then what happens is you walk over and you take that position. If you want to be rich, start acting as if you've got shit. If you want to be confident, start acting as if you're confident. If you want that car, go to the car place, start driving it around, test driving it. That's what we do with our guys. Because it's preempting the brain for when it happens. Because it will. You can have, most people don't know this. You can have anything you want in life. The, the, the bad thing is there's always a price to pay for that, which is okay if you want it bad enough. But don't sit there at home going, I'm nothing, I'm in this marriage, I'm, I, I, I can't stop drinking. It's all false. Society's telling you that, you know, that's what they're doing. Well, you're supposed to get married, have two kids, go to the pub every Friday night and just have a nice fight. You don't want that. You don't have to have it, guys. I'm telling you. I feel like those are messages that can be, be given to so many people so many different experiences, you know, even outside the realm of, of like addiction and recovery, but just so many people can, can benefit and learn from that. hundred percent. And that's all, that's all we live for here. It's like, yeah, we run a business. Yeah, we do well, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But at the end of the day, how can I make you and not help you? How can I make you into a better person to enjoy life? What can I do for you today? is all us. So we do things like the wife calls up, she's wants her husband, but the wife and kids are scared. We will offer the wife and kids right there and then to call us anytime free of charge for the rest of their lives if they have any questions on this stuff. You know, it's like, it's being the human being that I always wanted to be. That's the bottom line. I've never said that. That just come to me now, Andrew. See, see your stuff, you're pulling out of me. But yeah, <laughs> being the human being I always wanted to be. Or be the best one I saw the other day was be the, be the person your dog thinks you are. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I'm really thankful that you'll be able to, to join today and to talk about like your story, like the work you've been doing, hearing about some of the approaches that you use. I, I'm always looking to see outside the box, the typical ways that people address some of these issues and you're full of them. I'm, I'm sure there's a whole bag or room of, of tricks, but you got to share some of like the real life experiences of how you've done this, which is great to hear of, of how that's been applied. Thank you, man. It's an absolute pleasure talking to you. Oh, we'll speak again. This is yeah. awesome.
We'll yeah, have you on again. I will have you on my podcast. You know, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's great. So I've and the best place for people to learn more about you is just go to robkelly.com and that's where they yeah. can find out a whole bunch of what you do and the, the services that are there. They can read your your full story and catch some of your other appearances to, yeah, to learn more about website. you. Yeah, uh, spell my name with two Bs, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com. Jump on there, put it in any search engine or even better is a great feature on the first page of the website and it's a button there. So call Dr. Rob Direct. When you press that button, I'm on the other end answering. If I don't answer, it's because I'm in <laughs> video with a patient. I'll definitely call you back. Good. Thank you so yeah. much, Andrew. Yeah, thanks you very much. Appreciate it. It's been an amazing talk and looking forward to connecting again. Awesome. Thank you, man.